Yo, what's good, y'all? I missed y'all. It's been, it's been a minute. It's been about a month. And, you know, I want to apologize. I want to start by apologizing because I didn't give you a heads up. I didn't let you know that there wouldn't be any podcast for the month of September. And I'm just going to keep it 100 with you. That was completely unplanned. Completely and totally unplanned. Uh, I have been traveling this month and the short end, you know, of it is just that I bit off more than I could chew. You know, I do that sometimes. I overcommit myself. Uh, I think I can accomplish more (laughs) than I actually can. And even though I had a plan and was actually like very prepared, like had episodes recorded, um, those those things got lost. (laughs) They got lost in the sauce. And I just didn't have the capacity to re-record and and sort of execute those episodes in a way that I wanted to. And I actually tried to re-record one of those episodes. But here's the here's the thing about recording an episode again is that it's never as good as the first one. It's just never as good as the first one. And so me and my homie Kenshiro, we had this really good conversation about purity culture and sort of how it has affected him as a male because a lot of times when we talk about purity culture we're just talking about how you know its impact on women and whatnot but like yo it it affected and impacted uh Christian men as well and so I was like yo like why don't you hop on this podcast and you know give me your two cents about that and it was a really good episode and I guess it was just a conversation for me and Ken to have (laughs) because the joint is lost but yeah, we're here. We're here uh, and we're back. And I want to welcome you to another episode of Living Single with Yana Janae. And today we are going to be talking about purity culture. Uh, however, we're not going to be doing that with Kinshiro. Not this week. Uh, we'll do that um, in the next episode. Today, I have two friends uh, that I've been just connecting with and building with over Instagram uh, Rachel Joy Welsher and Bethany Lauren, who are going to be joining me for a conversation on purity culture. But before I sort of jump into their bios and tell you a little bit more about them, um, I sort of want to back up and remind us of where we are in our journey about uh, sex, right? So this season is all about sex, sexuality, and singleness and how those three things come together. And, you know, in my thinking through how to organize our topics for this conversation, I decided to use what theologians refer to as the meta narrative of scripture. And I wanted to use the meta narrative of scripture to sort of frame our conversation around sex, sexuality, and singleness. Um, when commentators use this phrase, meta narrative of scripture, uh, they're referring to the overarching story or narrative of the Bible, which is creation, which is what we see in Genesis 1 and 2, and then the fall, which is what we see from Genesis 3, leading all the way up to Christ's uh, death. And then through Christ's death, we enter into uh, the third phase of the meta narrative, which is rescue, right? And, you know, maybe arguably we we enter into that when when Jesus is born, right? Because he is bringing about rescue through his life. He is the fulfillment of God's promise to Adam and Eve and even Abraham when he says like, yo, there's going to be this one who's going to come 
and he's going to crush the head of Satan. And uh, so be on the lookout for him. And this one, Abraham, that's going to come from you. He is going to be uh, the a blessing to all of the nations, right? And so Jesus comes in and rescue with him. And then we are waiting on this, this final uh, part of the meta narrative, which we get a preview of in scripture called final redemption. And that is when Christ will come again. Uh, some people refer to this as the final co- consummation of all things when the kingdom that has come, like comes in its fullness. Uh, and, you know, Revelations refers to this time where, you know, God's dwelling place will be with his people. We won't need no, we won't need no son. <laughs> I know that's not correct English, but we won't need a son because Christ will, will, will shine uh, as, as bright as the sun. And that there will be no more crying, there will be no more weeping, and like all the effects of the fall will be overturned. And so that's sort of the meta narrative of scripture. And so when we talk about sex, it's like in the beginning, God created sex, right, <laughs> to be this way. However, because of the fall, uh, sex has been distorted. Our view of sex, our practice of sex, all of those things have been distorted, distorted, and uh and we all experience sexual brokenness in one way or another. However, Christ comes in, right? And he offers us a new way of life. He offers us a way out, out of this brokenness. And even though he frees us from the penalty that comes with our sin and that he frees us from the power of sin and its effects, uh, we are still living in the presence of sin. And so temptation is all around us, but Jesus gives us us the uh, potential to live in a different way. I love the way Paul David Tripps put that, puts that in uh, how people change. He talks about how Christ gives us the potential to live in a new way. And I love the way Romans 8 puts it when it says, we no longer have an obligation to our flesh. Whereas before, during the the fall, like, yo, all we knew was flesh, right? But now, because Christ is entered in the world, we have uh, the spirit who gives us power over our flesh. However, we all live in this tension, right, of of like, we don't want to sin, but we still sin. And the same thing is with sex, right? Paul talks about this in Romans 8. He says, the thing that I don't want to do, I continuously do it. And the things that, things that I do want to do, I don't do them. But he says, but thanks be to God, right? Thanks be to God for two things. One, the God who in his grace and his mercy, he sends, sends Christ into the world for our salvation, but also as Titus puts it, who sent Christ into the world also uh, to train us in righteousness, to train us in a way so that we can say no to our flesh and to say yes uh, to God. You can say I've been on the road <laughs> preaching a little bit, but yeah, and so so because of what Christ has done, we can be rescued from our sexual brokenness and experience the wholeness in Christ. But yo, it's a process, right? Um, and it won't be complete until Jesus finally comes back again in the final redemption, the consummation of all things. And so this is kind of the journey that we've been on. And I hope that going through that uh, is helpful. Um, and if, in episodes one, two, and three, that was all about creation. That was all about what was sex created for, what was sex intended to look like pre-fall. 
Um, and then in the last episode, we start, sort of started to touch on this idea of uh, sex in a broken world, right? Uh, which is also a book by Paul David Tripp. I'm just giving Paul David Tripp's like like all the all the plugs today. <laughs> but Sex in a Broken World, which is is, is a is an excellent book actually, by the way. Uh, and we started that conversation with this question, like, did God really say? Because a lot of times when it comes to sex, that's the question that we're asking. Like, yo, did God really say I have to wait until marriage to be uh, to to be able to participate in sex? Did God really say that? like sex can only be between a man, a male and a female. Like, like what did God really say about, you know, sex? That's the question that we're, we're asking. And so that's sort of where we are starting as we enter into this conversation about sex in a broken world. And we're going to talk about a lot of things. We're going to talk about premarital sex. We're going to talk about masturbation, pornography. We're going to talk about uh, homosexuality, uh, what, you know, same-sex attraction, all of those kinds of things. But before we talk about those things that have been labeled as overtly bad, I want to address a heretical culture that has been growing in the church uh, for years, for decades now, that's called purity culture. Um, and I know that this may be an interesting place to start, but I want to start here. Um, one, because I know that many of you who are listening actually like subscribe to, you know, what many will call a biblical sexual ethic, you know, which we've been talking about over the last few episodes. And so you don't have so much of an, you know, an issue with those things, um, because you grew up in that. And so you don't have a, a issue with saying, yeah, like sex is, for marriage or having an issue saying like, yes, pornography is wrong. But I think with some of the things that we've heard in church about sex and purity and dating and marriage, I think we sometimes need to ask that question like, yo, did God really say that? You know, uh, did God really say, you know, that, you know, if I, <laughs> if I, um, have sex before marriage that like I won't be able to have uh, a beautiful sex life in in marriage like did God really say that because those are some of the messages that I received and others received growing up or this whole picture of a rose you know being crumbled up and going out around the room and saying like yo nobody's gonna want this rose (laughs) you know uh when it's done like yo is that is that biblical is that the right way um to think about that and so Because of that, I want to start with today's topic of purity culture, Um, because I think it's something that we can overlook in terms of like what sexual brokenness is. You see where I think where the world has told us, like, you know, do whatever you want with your body, (laughs) you know, live your best life, sex it up. I feel like the church has sort of suppressed our sexuality has taught us to suppress our sexuality through some of its messages. And neither one of those things are are healthy. It's just going from one end of the pendulum to, to the next. And so I want to have a conversation about talking back to purity culture, which is actually named after one of our guests book, um, Rachel Joy Welcher. Now I know you've already heard me say a whole lot about this book. Uh, I read it in preparation for this season and y'all, I just love it. And so you need to go buy it. You need to go read it. 
Um, one, because it's just brilliantly written. It's And it's written on a topic that I think we all sort of need to revisit. But I think it's also a book that teaches us how to think well and gives us a, a better picture of what it looks like to deconstruct. Because I think deconstruction has become a bit of a dirty word in the church. But, you know, there are some things that we need to deconstruct. And I think that Wilcher does a beautiful job of deconstructing purity culture. So a little bit about our guest. Uh, Rachel is a poet and author living in South Dakota with her husband, uh, who is a pastor, uh, and with her daughter. And she uh, currently works as an editor of uh, Fathom uh, Magazine and Lexham Press. And she's received her master of letters and theology from the University of St. Andrews in Scotland, uh, where she did her research, which led to this book, Talking Back to Purity Culture, uh, Rediscovering Faithful Christian Sexuality. Uh, Beautiful, excellent book. And also joining our conversation is Bethany Lauren. Uh, Bethany and I have been crossing paths over uh, Instagram, our good friend, Mutual friend Manny Arango introduced us to one another, and I've just been enjoying learning from her um, just from the things that she shares on Instagram. And she is a writer and a speaker, and Bethany loves the Bible, loves it so much she made it her Instagram handle, uh, simply underscore Bible. <laughs> and she loves teaching people how to read the Bible and how to study the Bible, and that's really all that she does on her Instagram account. Every now and again, she'll do some some really thoughtful Q&As and some really thoughtful sort of uh, commentary on things that are happening in culture um, and in the church specifically. And she currently lives in Phoenix with her husband and her two daughters. Friends, I am so excited to share this episode with you. Um, I My heart was literally burning <laughs> while I was on the, uh, on the call with these two brilliant, brilliant women. And so I pray that this conversation is as much of a blessing to you as it was to me to be a part of it. Hello, friends. Man, I I am so glad that you all are here, that you all agreed and cleared your schedules for this conversation. Um, Rachel, when I read your book, I was like, who is this woman? <laughs> I need to know who she is. Uh, <laughs> ran the social media and was like, wow, she's living such a, a full uh, yet uh, small life in this 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 area with her family. But I'm like, this book is amazing and everybody needs to read it. And so I have made it my, my mission, my life goal to put this book in as many people's hands as um, <laughs> possible. And when I read it, Bethany, I immediately thought of you because we've had conversations about purity culture and we've also just um, sort of like landed in some of the similar places in terms of like what is what is needed and what is necessary to continue to move this conversation uh, forward. Plus, you know, Bethany and I can sometimes be rebels and be willing to get in trouble for uh, speaking truth. And so I just knew that this would be a really good conversation. So, ladies, say hello to the people. Hi. Hey, good to be here. Man. Okay. So, we're going to just jump in because I have lots of questions. 
And um, I want to get through as many of them as possible. So, Rachel, first, can you just share with us how you came to write this book? Like, what was it about the topic, purity culture, that that drew you in and made you want to address it? Hmm. Well, it was kind of multifaceted because on a personal level, I grew up as a pastor's kid. I grew up in the church and my parents didn't push purity culture rhetoric much, but I got it from all the books I read, you know, I kissed dating goodbye and um, all those books. And so I had been immersed in it um, in my own way, just through private reading. And then the other side of it was that after I kind of practiced all the purity culture rules and ended up divorced, I had to grapple with a lot of the messages that I'd internalized in, in a personal way and ask myself, okay, were these messages actually from scripture? Because here I am 29, divorced, living back at home with my parents. I thought I did things right and now I'm suffering and that's not how it was supposed to go according to the books. And so I had to grapple with it personally, but at that time I also went back to school to get my master's in theology and I had to pick something for my dissertation. And so I decided to take some of my um, thoughts on this and actually dig into research. Um, I interviewed um, about 100 people and I went back and reread all these books for men and women during that movement and tried to read them through the lens of scripture and with the experience I had as an adult. Um, and so it was both personal and academic. Man, I love that. I love that. Bethany, what about you? Because I know that you have been passionate about this conversation as well. And so what are some ways that your heart has been burdened just as you talk to people about purity culture and just even walked through that yourself? Yeah, I was raised in purity culture very similarly to Rachel. Um so in some ways, I understand it very well, and I, I, I understand the intention behind it. My parents had really good intentions. My youth pastors had good intentions because uh, the goal of purity culture was to create like a generation of like resilient disciples, <laughs> but I think it miserably failed. <laughs> so for me, it's like the more I studied scripture, the more problematic purity culture became. And the, I think one of the main reasons is because it hijacks the term purity <laughs> um and it kind of makes the word purity automatically associate with sexual abstinence um and that's like one of the main things but there's obviously a lot of scripture that associates purity with like the putting away of sexual immorality but i would argue that purity culture kind of makes the assumption that if you are abstinent until marriage you are a pure person um, and you're pure before God. But the more I read scripture, the more I realized, hey, you know, there's only one person who's pure. His name is Jesus. <laughs> and because he is pure, I lay down my life to follow him. And so yeah. I feel like purity culture kind of twisted the gospel narrative mm -hmm. and almost made me as a young person feel like by not having sex, I was now like a saint or something and that I had a status maybe above other Christians. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the deeper I got in my faith, the more, pro the more I realized how, how bad that was, <laughs> how problematic that was. Um, and I, 
really tried to take some steps back and kind of reverse the narrative when I started doing youth ministry. So, yeah, man, that's, that's so, that's so good. So helpful. It seems like for both of y'all, myself included, we kind of have these personal like epiphanies, like, wait a minute, something's, something's off here. Um, Whereas Rachel, like you looking at your life and being like, yo, like this is not adding up with the formula that was put before me. Um, but man, Bethany, I, 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 you know, as someone who is still a virgin, you know, there have been times in my life where I thought that that was like my salvation, you know? And I remember mm-hmm. being in a community with a bunch of girls and some girls were, you know, uh, virgins and some of them weren't. And these cliques started to form. And I just remember the Lord being like, your virginity does not save you. Like, that's not what's getting you into heaven. <laughs> Christ is what's getting you into heaven. And I was like, ouch, okay. <laughs> you know, like, but it was like that epiphany that helped me to realize that I had a very narrow understanding of what purity was and what even holiness um, was. And so it's just so interesting how our, our own personal experiences can create burdens um, for us because it's like we're searching for these answers, right? Um, so the, the onus then is on us to like, go, go find them. Um, That's right. Rachel, I, what I feel like you did so good in your book is sort of present the, the sort of tenets of purity culture. Mm-hmm. Like what are some of the big bucket sort of ideas and maybe even, you know, theology that they were prescribing. And as someone who right. grew up in, you know, an African-American Kojic church, it was like, when I heard this word purity culture, it was like, I kind of know what that is, but I don't know what that is, you know? And so I wanted to read your book to sort of educate myself. So, and I feel like you did a really good job at that. And so I don't want to assume that everyone listening knows what purity culture is or, or even can put their finger on it. Like they may sense it, but they don't right. really know what it is. And so can you kind of share with us kind of what are some of the major tenets of purity culture? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, Bethany really nailed it when she said um, that it twisted the gospel narrative, uh, because I, what I talk about in my book is that virginity was queen, uh, right, on the throne or king. Um, and you're both right that there was this underlying idea that if you saved yourself for marriage, that you were that that really was the defining characteristic of being a Christian for um, a single for an adolescent. And while I think we'd all agree that sexual purity is important, um, the state of virginity is not the definition of purity, right? Um, because there you can work your way around it. You can um, have impure thoughts in your mind and all sorts of other things. But the goal, I think, so it's important to kind of step back and say what was happening in history at that point. And there were all these fears um, from coming out of the 70s and 80s about STDs and teen pregnancy. Okay. And so parents and youth leaders understandably wanted to respond to that. And I think we can all understand why this came about, but of course the pendulum swings too far, right? Back and forth. And so um, just this zeal to get kids to save sex for marriage kind of overpowered every other message in Christianity for teenagers. Mm -hmm. And so there was an obsession. Uh, If you, you know, if you went and looked for books for teens, almost every single one was about lust um, and for girls about modesty rather than, you know, learning about the character of God or the fruits of the spirit, which 
um, ironically, would have actually helped us probably more in fighting sexual sin than some of these books. Right. So, uh, <laughs> culture was it was this movement um, where kind of defined by conferences and books, and even uh, there were celebrities at the time wearing purity rings, and it was all about virginity until marriage. The emphasis was on young people. So there wasn't this idea that sexual purity is for everyone, um, even though, I mean, I think people would say it was, but it was very much, we need to keep young people uh, virgins until marriage, and then they can just unleash all their sexual passions. Um, the idea of sexual selflessness and marriage was not discussed ever. Um, men were painted as like these lust machines and women were painted as stumbling blocks. And so there was really this reduction of our humanity in the way that both men and women were talked to about themselves and about one another. And that's one of the big problems I discuss in my book. Um, and then there was a prosperity gospel wrapped up, which I mentioned before that I kind of realized during my divorce, which was that I was, I was taught through these books. I was catechized that if I followed the purity culture rules, that I would get married at a young age, I would have great married sex and I'd have children. And when all of that fell apart, I had to either assume that God was angry with me or that I'd failed somewhere along the line um, or that the church was just lying about everything. Oh, Rachel. That's a <laughs> <laughs> no, I was, man, I um, was preparing for the talk back that I'm going to do this week with um, mm -hmm. some Patreon subscribers. What's up, y'all? Shout out. Um, and we're going to be going through, uh, the episodes I did last season on stages of singleness. And one of the stages I talk about is anger, right? And it's because I believe that lie, you know, if I put my head down, if I make disciples, if I live for Jesus, if I save myself, you know, uh, and kind of have this focus on having this kingdom impact that one day some dude will come along and he'll find me. And then, you know, you start turning 26, 27, 28, 29, 30. And it's like, wait a minute, <laughs> you know, right. like where, where is this happily ever after that I was sold, you know? Um, and I just remember being extremely angry with the Lord and just struggling with envy, even with friends of mine who in my uh, summation, like were not as pure <laughs> as me, you know? Um, and. And yeah, I just ended up really struggling with the Lord and even really like struggling in my relationships with with other people. Um, Bethany, what about you? Like given some of the things that Rachel shared and just even things that you've experienced, like how have you personally interacted with these ideas and even women, you know, um, that you've discipled and just kind of what kind of hardships have 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 they had to overcome? Yeah, I've seen I've seen so many. I think every individual reacts to purity culture in a different way. Because yeah. for me, I really embraced it as a teenager. Um, I almost felt this like feminist power, like in not giving myself to guys. Like, and I I, I really saw the way some girls at school were taken advantage of. So I really wanted to protect myself. So I kind of use purity culture as like a defense mechanism um, to make sure that I could 
weed out kind of like the bad guys or whatever. <laughs> um, and it really worked for me um, in my dating relationships because I never felt vulnerable. Um, however, that was problematic when I ended up getting married, right? Because right. when you get married, you lose that power. And so being vulnerable was really difficult for me, especially in the first few years of marriage, because I, I was never used to being vulnerable in my romantic relationships. So it definitely took some working through. Um, and even still today, I find myself pulling back or retracting to protect my heart or to protect myself. And I have to um, work on being vulnerable. Um, and I do attribute a lot of that to growing up in purity culture. Wow. Um, and in regards to discipling others, I feel like there are probably two categories um, where I've seen this lived out problematically. But the first one's probably just with young teenage girls. Um, some of them grow up in church, but never make like a deep commitment to follow Jesus. Uh, but they they still live in the purity culture mindset. So, but be, because they don't have like a deep connection to Christ, they aren't necessarily working out their salvation. So they're the ones who often fall into like sexual relationships and then end up feeling tons of guilt because they didn't choose purity for themselves. It was kind of forced upon them. And then they have to deal with the aftermath of like shame with their parents and shame with the church and everything. Um, so I've seen that lived out a few times. Mm. I've seen um, a few girls just get taken advantage of by guys in our youth ministry who should be like upstanding Christian gentlemen, like taking care of their girlfriends and stuff and then ending up kind of pushing them in the opposite direction and then leaving them because then they feel shame and they don't want to deal with the shame anymore. So they kind of just break up wow. and break the girl's heart. You know, I've seen, I've seen that. Um, I've seen it hurt students who struggle with same sex attraction. It's like the way that purity culture is often preached is in the context of marriage. So what does that right. mean for a same sex attracted student um, who might even be closeted and doesn't know how to have hope for their future with Christ? Um, if the hope for Christ is for every person to be married, then what's the hope for them? Um, and so for me as a leader, I really try to disciple students for the long game. You know, this is a marathon. This is not something that is ever resolved. Like, like committing to following Jesus is, is taking up your cross on a daily basis, even when you're married <laughs> and it, the feeling never really goes away. Um, the feeling of like, of it being hard never really goes away. Um, it, it has its seasons of like ease and seasons of struggle. Um, sure. so yeah, it's, it's cool in that way. But yeah, okay. does that answer your question, Yana? <laughs> oh, absolutely. Absolutely okay. answers my question. And man, I, I appreciate two things you said. One is like discipling people for the long haul. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, if the end game is marriage, then you're just discipling people, <laughs> you know, to make it into marriage, you know, but if the end goal is seeing Jesus face to face, then we we're able to have a more comprehensive conversation um, that includes, you know, the highs and lows in all of life. And I think for sure, I believe at one point, like if I get married, then I won't struggle with these things anymore. I won't struggle with uh, sexual purity. I won't struggle with suffering. Like my life will be easier and better. 
Um, but man, I tell you, like my married friends, I love them. I love the way that they welcome me <laughs> into their homes so I can see the real, right? Like see them when they have to hold their tongue, see them when, you know, their marriage is at its at its high and even when it's at its low, when I can come into the space and realize like, oh, there's some there's some distance here. <laughs> this, this, you know, the, the, the love isn't as strong in here. And it just, it sobers me, you know, it sobers me and letting me know like that there are pros and cons in both stages of, of life and that wherever I find myself, I'm still going to have to figure out how to trust Jesus, you know, that's right. That. That's right. Um, still going to have to exhibit the fruit of the spirit, <laughs> you know, perseverance and self-control. Those things are still there. Um, the second thing I appreciate you said, Bethany, and this is something that Rachel mentions in her book, which was like so eye-opening to me, which is how because the rhetoric within the church uh, as it relates to purity and marriage was very much a, a heterosexual conversation. Uh, mm. a, a kid, <laughs> you know, a young adult sitting in church who wrestled with same-sex attraction that they often found themselves really marginalized in that that conversation. And so I would love, Rachel, if you could speak more um, to that and even why it was so important for you to bring that to light in your book. Well, yeah, I mean, I have some <clears throat> godly friends who um, identify as celibate gay Christians or struggle with same-sex attraction, whatever terms you want to use, and um, have just noticed, you know, just how how much they have taught me about what it means to live out our faith and what it means to lay your life down and even your loves down, um, and pick up your cross. And so, um, I wanted to address the fact that in youth group, the idea that a kid might be sitting there and they were not straight. And so this narrative of, okay, you can get married and you're going to have kids and, and all your, um, all your lusts can just finally be expressed, you know, whatever. Um, none of that related to them. And, and not only, did it not relate, but they weren't even acknowledged. Um, and so and obviously youth leaders couldn't acknowledge every single person in every single situation. But um, I think we're more aware now that there are brothers and sisters out there who are struggling um, in different ways. And we need to make sure that our narrative is not only biblical, but that it, um, it cares for all people, all Christians. And so this sort of idolization of marriage hurt married couples and single people, but it also especially hurt those struggling with same-sex attraction because it set up the the pursuit of purity as something with a solution and an end, like a, a goalpost right, um, of marriage. And so what is someone who's same-sex attracted supposed to do or think, right? Either they pray that God changes their um, attractions, which from what I've researched, that doesn't happen as often as people would like to believe. Or they um, say, well, I'm just going to give in to sin because I want to have love. Or they say, okay, I'm going to be celibate my whole life. But celibacy is, was just not something talked about with a lot of respect or even as an option in purity culture. And so we have to go back to the Apostle Paul to see what he says about singleness and, and even the you know church history where there were times in church history where actually maybe celibacy was held up too high as an idol, but at least they acknowledged it as an as a very legitimate way to live. Um, and so I think the one of the hardest things on our brothers and sisters who struggle with same-sex attraction is that marriage is emphasized as the goal 
the reward and the solution to lust. And so we weren't thinking of them at all um, when we were talking. And we were not thinking of those who maybe would still be single long after they wanted to be. Man, that's, that's so helpful. Bethany, do you have any thoughts on that? That's so good. Rachel covered, Rachel covered it. It sounds like everything. I think, um, (laughs) yeah, it was really good. Good job, Rachel. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, no, I feel like my heart just breaks and it has such a burden for people who don't fit in um, to mainstream church life and community life. Um, And that includes single people as well. Like you mentioned, it's, it's, it's unfortunate that our whole system revolves around marriage and the result of marriage, which is, which is children. And I know there should be a space for them, um, for marriage and family, but there should be equal space in the community for celibate and same-sex attracted celibate Christians. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, even, even, um, people who've been divorced, you know, what are they supposed to, where do they fit in the, in the purity culture narrative? What about people who are married, but they can't have children. You know, I talked about that briefly in my book that infertility can almost be seen as like a sign that you didn't follow the rules well enough because it, because I remember in one of the books, it basically said the author was trying to emphasize that if you have sex outside of marriage, you're more likely to get STDs, which I think, you know, it could be true. Absolutely. But then they were saying that if you have STDs, then you're going to be infertile. And, And their whole point was that like, you're going to be punished um, and you won't be able to have children. But if you, which, you know, that's a whole nother theological discussion. But then there are other, the other side of it was that if you obey God, you'll be rewarded by being able to have children easily. And I have seen from my own personal experience with miscarriage, as well as friends who struggled with infertility, that there's so much like shame and guilt that comes along with that. That's so unnecessary. That's not coming from God. But part of it is, you know, connected to this purity movement that that taught this prosperity gospel. Man, that that word punishment, you know, that God is going to punish you because you were sexually active. Um, man, that is is really troubling. Like it actually like makes me want to to cry because it's it's not the gospel. Like it's. It's not the gospel. Like, sure, there there will probably be consequences sure. for you know things that that we do, but when sure. you know the Apostle John says that Christ was the propitiation for our sins, like he means right. that Christ Amen. took on the punishment for our sins, and so right. um, God punished Christ. <laughs> you know, like he's not right. punishing. Um, us, it just paints this really petty view of of God. You know, he's well, yeah, the almighty God. You think of uh, the story of the prodigal son and how the father is running. You know, the, the, the prodigal son got up to all sorts of mischief, right? And we can assume what uh, spent his father's inheritance on prostitutes. Okay, so talk about sexual sin and. Instead of the father, you know, being cold and saying, you can come home and just be my servant. He runs to meet him. He throws him a party. That's the image of Jesus. That's the image of God in our sin. And of course, that doesn't mean that we should sin more that grace may abound, right? As Paul says, um, I think all three of us would say that we should take sexual purity very seriously. 
But to anyone who is listening who has failed sexually, which is everyone, <laughs> um, <laughs> there is so much mercy and grace. And it does not mean that you can't have a good marriage in the future. It does not mean that you can't serve the Lord as a single or married or whatever you are. Um, there is so much forgiveness in Christ. He redeems and he even uses our mistakes. So please don't be listening to this thinking that you have failed or you're beyond um, you're beyond some um, some type of happiness or some type of ministry that you that you feel called to because it's not how God works. It's not. He is the God of redemption. He is the God who brings dead things to life. Um, he restores. He renews. Yeah, yeah. Bethany, you got some thoughts. I see you like jumping over there. Amen. <laughs> Amen, sis. I mean, honestly, yeah, it's, it's, it's heartbreaking. Um, I think that a lot of this stems from just lack of, of personal interaction with scripture and a lack of theological education, discipleship in our churches. You know, we dumb things down in such a simplistic way. It's like people don't understand the scope of the gospel um, and it really breaks my heart because when things do happen culturally, um, there isn't the discernment in the body. Um, there is more of a sheet mentality. And so if we had people following Jesus passionately interacting with him and not so much just looking to their leaders, um, and absorbing every single thing that they say yeah. and propose, um, not that we should have a rebellious spirit. That's not what I'm suggesting at all, but it's like, if we're only hearing about God from one or two people, um, you know, there is a danger in that because there isn't the accountability, um, to where they're leading us. And so it does break my heart that people have, um, not experienced that redemption, um, that healing that is offered through Christ. Um, and that there's a fear of, of punishment, of losing salvation, you know, all those things, um, right. that can come with it. So, yeah. so yeah. Man, that's so, that's so good. Um, let me ask you this because earlier, Rachel, you talked about how, um, much of purity culture was in response to what was going on, like in the world, right? That um, there was a rise in STDs, there was a rise in teenage pregnancy. And so that a lot of this was sort of reactionary, right? Um, and trying to put something together that would encourage young people to choose something differently. I think now that we see sort of some of the issues with purity culture, it can be very easy for people to swing the pendulum in the other direction. Right. Um, and so for both of you, like, how do we, how do we, in a sense, sort of take a look at, you know, uh, purity culture, talk back to it, deconstruct it, but but sort of do so in a way where we don't go to the to the other extreme. Yeah, I mean, goodness, as I was writing the book, there were books coming out on the topic um, where the authors essentially just said, OK, we're done with this sexual ethic, like this historic Christian sexual ethic. It's become so corrupted with these messages that we're just going to create a new sexual ethic altogether. And I think that's where we err greatly, because as I say in my book, like we should question ourselves and our own interpretations of God's word, but we never question 
I don't mean we never question God, but God's word is the foundation, right, for all of this. And so when we are, if, if you are deconstructing faithfully, you're doing so with the Bible in your hand. Mm-hmm. And if you are deconstructing without the Bible in your hand, when you're, if you are deconstructing without Christian community, you are going to go too far the other way. Um, and and I, I know that that's not a popular message right now. I know that that will anger people to hear. But you absolutely, if you want to be faithful in your taking a part of something, um, of culture of Christianity, you need to make sure you're doing it within the accountability of the local church. And you need to make sure that you um, are immersed in God's word. And so, yeah, I think we are seeing an overcorrection um, and people are just throwing at God's at sexual ethic altogether. But God cares about our bodies. He cares about who we are sexually. He made us sexual beings. And so to try to separate that from his love is, is not right. And um, he has clear instructions for us when it comes to these things. And so we need to make sure that we're communicating those in love and in truth, but we can't just throw it out because we don't like it or because it's inconvenient in today's culture. Word, word. I think it's so interesting how a lot of people are like literally deconstructing Christianity apart from the biblical text. I mean, it's just, oh yeah, it's baffling <laughs> to to me. I'm just like, what exactly are you deconstructing? I don't know. <laughs> you know, you're at that point, you're deconstructing what somebody else has said maybe about the biblical text, but you're not like actually right. interacting with the biblical text. And so I'm always asking the question, like, okay, so what are your tools? <laughs> like, what are your tools for wow. deconstruction? And most times, it's uh, it's somebody's book who has left the faith or yeah. who, as you said, has created this new sexual ethic. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's not it's not the Bible. It's not the spirit of God. It's not the community of, of his church. Uh, Bethany, I know you care about the Bible. So <laughs> but, you know, the Bible comes under scrutiny. Right. And so. How do we continue to direct people towards God's word as they as they interact with like purity culture and just even other things that that they're seeking to deconstruct? Hmm. Yeah. Um, whenever I have a student who's questioning their faith, um, I I don't tell them to go read read a book or go on YouTube and listen to the apologists. Um, I'm like, you need to, ha- you need to figure out if you are loyal to Jesus, mm. you know, is your loyalty to Jesus or is your loyalty, um, fading? And, um, wow. I think sometimes because of, um, because of how inerrancy is taught, there are certain things that come with, Sola Scriptura, and I'm a Sola Scriptura girl, don't get me wrong, but sometimes when we say the Bible is so easy to understand, it's so literal, um, it, it can make it less than what it is. I don't know if that makes sense, but when someone's deconstructing, oftentimes it's because they don't have a clear vision of who Christ is in their life. And so I'm like, go figure that out, and then we can talk about all of your issues you know, with the Bible and with Christian history, because there's a lot, there's a lot there and it's okay to question and it's okay to wrestle. Um, but figure out if you're loyal to Jesus first, uh, because if you're not loyal, 
yeah, if you're not loyal to him, it will all fall apart and unravel because mm-hmm. uh, he's the foundation. Preach. Yo. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Because you're changing the starting point, right? Yes. You're changing the starting point. It's like, let's start with Jesus. Let's let's start there. Um, because, you know, there are going to be some things in God's word that are troubling and that are hard and uncomfortable. And it makes me think about, you know, when Jesus told his disciples, like, yo, if you don't, if you don't drink my blood and eat my, <laughs> eat my flesh, everybody's like, yo, what is this dude talking about, <laughs> you know? <laughs> And uh, he, he, Jesus looks at, you know, the 12 and he's like, yo, are y'all going to leave me too? And uh, Peter is like, yo, where are we going to go? Where are we going to go? You have the words of life. And so because of his allegiance, That's it, right? Jesus, he's like, I can, I don't understand all this stuff. This stuff makes me a little uncomfortable, but I'm rocking with you, you know? Um, and so I love that. <laughs> I love it. Changing the starting point. Mm, man, I'm getting happy on the inside. Um, <laughs> no, that's you, good. Ladies are, you ladies are so wise and it's so encouraging to hear. Uh, I'm, I'm excited too. Yeah, no, this has been really, really good. Um, one last question. And it's not yeah. because I don't have more questions, but it's just because, you know, I feel like the three of us could could do this for a really, really long time. Um, but Rachel, one of the things you did in your book that I thought was was really, really kind was how much grace and understanding and like benefit of the doubt that you gave uh, some of the folks who were like really at the forefront of purity culture and I just would love for you to share kind of what was that process like in your own heart you know as someone who had experienced some hurt as you know a result of some of that teaching um, but still being able to see them as human and being kind um, towards right you know I, I I really wrestled with that balance and some people do not think I strike struck the right balance um I did receive a couple letters and notes after from people who were hurt by the fact that I would critique certain authors um, and then others who were, thought I should have been harsher. Right. And so, so you know, I, I didn't please everyone with my balance, but one of the things I kept in mind is that I too am a writer and that people are going to look back on my book and critique it. And they should um, because I'm not God, because I'm just, I'm just a person who was, who is trying my best. Um, and I think that, quite a few of the authors I was critiquing, their goal was to help teenagers honor God with their bodies. And that's a beautiful thing. And, and, you know, so many of those authors were vulnerable about their own lives and struggles. And we, we have to read in light of history, right? And so there were messages that were just accepted then. um, And hindsight is 2020. And so I wanted to talk about those authors with the same grace that I hope people will give me years from now. Right. Um, because we all are just doing our best and um, we can only learn from one another if we recognize that we're learning from fallible people. Right. And so th- that's kind of how I approached it. And yeah, some of the books made me very angry. I think I talked about throwing one across the room and I did. Um, <laughs> but having said that, I also recognize that we are just, we're all Christians trying our best. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. We're all Christians trying our best. And even as you were just 
uh, sharing, Rachel, it made me think about how when I realized that my parents were human, you know, mm-hmm. and, you know, I don't know, somewhere in your 20s, you start to realize <laughs> that, yeah. that they're, they're human and you start first, like critiquing the mess out of them, right? And saying mm-hmm. all the things that you're going to do different and yeah, okay. whatnot. And then at some point you reach this point of compassion, you know, and understanding mm-hmm. and just be like, man, my mm-hmm. mom and my dad, they were literally doing the best that they could. Um, and how that helps you to like see them in love and understanding and 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 appreciate their their best their best uh, uh, efforts and one of the things reasons why I appreciated the, that so much Rachel is because it's just so rare <laughs> you know like we don't know how to critique and have compassion and Bethany I know that you find no. yourself in the crossfires a lot, you know, for speaking truth, um, people be in your DMs and your comment sections, you know, uh, but I would just love to know, like, kind of, as you've been on social media, like, um, why do you think it's so difficult for us to sort of strike, strike that balance between critique and compassion? That's really good. Um, my dad has an interesting philosophy that we as humans and our, and our true nature, we're not designed to live in diverse communities that we tend to just um, like, it's not natural for us to get along with people who are different. Um, but it's our call to live in a diverse community in peace, mm-hmm. right? That's our call. And so I've, it's so, it's so easy for us to just stay in our tribes, you know, cause like in our, in our Christian world, there are tribes, right? Like theological tribes, uh, and that kind of thing. And for me, I feel very comfortable in a certain tribe. Um, but on the internet, you know, I interact with people from all the Christian tribes and so mm-hmm. there's conflict. Um, you know, I grew up in the church, so oftentimes I'm pushing against the the culture, right. And, um, trying to make it more biblical and more, um, more beautiful and more Christ centered and all those things. Um, I I have noticed that people who convert to the faith, you know, they signed up for the, the culture that's currently in place. And so when someone has a conversion experience, oftentimes they're very loyal to what the church is right now. And so that's, I will intimidate them in a way I'm not intending to intimidate them um, and things like that. So I've learned to have a lot more grace for people over the years because I've hurt people unintentionally. And then I've also learned to have more of a bridle on my tongue and not just saying everything that I think all the time. Um, but I do think there's a, we, have to, we do have to strike a balance. Rachel, I think you did an amazing job in your book because I feel like you did call things out but you didn't take it too far. You didn't, you never disrespected what came before. And I really appreciate that because I think it's so hard to find voices who understand the nuance and have compassion for, like you said, the people who were actually doing their very best and really were doing it out of love for the Christian community and out of love for Christ. And so I think that's a beautiful um, heart to have and empathy, you know, will heal the church. Um, and so mm. I, I'm trying so hard to like 
Lord, just give me that heart to understand where they're coming from. So not so I can change them, but so that I can be close to them and love them as you love them. Because um, until we have that deep love for each other, I don't, I don't know if anything will really heal. Um, but it, mm. you know, it takes, it takes like effort to get to that place. That's true. So <laughs> much wisdom. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It does take effort. Lord knows I'm praying all the time for, uh, gentleness <laughs> all the time, even when I don't know, know that I need it. Like, Lord, help me to be gentle, um, with, with my words, man. Friends, this has been such a rich conversation. Um, I am incredibly inspired. Um, and it just points to something that both of you all mentioned earlier, just the importance of having these conversations in community uh, with other people. And my prayer is that whoever is listening to any of these episode, episodes, that the conversation doesn't stop like when the episode is over but that you would have conversations with the Lord and that you would have conversations with people in your life, your parents, your friends, uh, married people, you know, if you're listening, your spouses, X, Y, and Z, you know, single people in your life that Mm -hmm. these episodes will really just be conversation starters um, Mm -hmm. for y'all. But as we close, I would love to hear from you all just how community has really served you well as you have wrestled with, you know, thoughts about Mm. sex and sexuality um, and even purity culture? Like, how has God intentionally used uh, the body of Christ in your life? Well, Bethany said, you know, the empathy will heal the church. And when we're in community and we're listening to other people's experiences, it does, it just grows our, our view of what people are dealing with. And um, there are certain passages of scripture that maybe we haven't had to grapple with personally because we aren't going through whatever that thing is. But the more you sit with the suffering, the more you listen to your brothers and sisters, um, the more, you know, our empathy grows. And so that's one aspect of being in community. And I think for me, when I was interviewing people for this book, it was so helpful and heartbreaking to hear their stories. Um, but it really added a richness um, to to the book that could have just been more kind of cold and theological. Um, but we are meant to be in community and to love one another, to sit and weep one another and rejoice with one another. And you you can't do that when you're just in isolation, um, you know, s- sitting behind your computer tweeting. And so we we do need to be in community and and a local church. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Um, and sometimes it's really hard to find spaces where you feel safe, right? Um, you know, I'm married to a pastor. Rachel, you said you're married to a pastor too, right? I am, yes. Yeah, I feel like when you're kind of in ministry like that, um, and maybe Yanni, you feel this too, because you're in ministry as well. Um, you you kind of don't know where you're safe, I think. Um, yeah. It might take some some time to like find where you're safe. So for me, I spent a lot of years not ever feeling safe. Um, but in the last few years, my husband and I, we kind of started a small group and with some friends and it's been so rich and so beautiful to, you know, that I can say anything and they will listen and then they will humbly bring me back to center, you know, right. 
Like, hey, Beth, you know, you went a little too far. I'm like, okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. I love that. I love that. <laughs> but it is so important. And mm-hmm. we, you know, we kind of had to seek it out. Um, it wasn't created for us through the church. Um, so if someone's listening and you don't have community, you don't feel like safe at church, um, you know, maybe try creating a own, your own group, you know, of one or two or three people um, who might be able to create that community with you. Man, that's so, that's so good. If you don't have people in your life who can tell you to shut up, <laughs> you're not, you're not nope. doing it right. <laughs> you're just not doing it right. Oh man. Uh, I, I call my friends, uh, my rider slaps. Um, they know mm. my rider dies because rider dies, <laughs> you know, they're not gonna speak up when you're doing something wrong. <laughs> my friends, they rider slaps, they will slap you with the truth. And help Amen. You. So, um, <laughs> together, we all need rider slaps in our lives. Yeah, um, we need that. Yeah, um, just even as we were thinking or talking, or you all were talking, I was thinking about how. The first, the first time I confessed sexual sin to a friend. And I remember we were sitting in the hallway of our dorm and I had been sort of in angst all week about whether or not I was going to share uh, this, this, this past sin that I had committed. And I remember sharing that with her and mm. she didn't flinch. She didn't make a face. She didn't condemn me. She just said, thank you for sharing that with me and reminded me of God's grace and God's goodness towards me. And it was just, it was not like anything that I expected. <laughs> you know, I I expected her to condemn me and to shame me and all of those kinds of things, but she didn't. And that created such a picture for me in terms of like what it's like to confess my sin, like even to the Lord, you know, like if my friend who's not all loving, you know, like who's, who's not full of grace can extend love and grace to me in that moment. Like how much more can God do that? And just seeing how so many friends have walked with me through all of my sin struggles and just the ways in which they've met me with mercy and grace and understanding and prayer and correction, you know, has just been, you know, uh, such healing um, for me in terms of like my view of God and my understanding of like purity and sex and all of those kinds of things. And so, I don't know, I just want to encourage those who are listening um, man, if you're struggling with sin, come out of hiding. Amen. Come out of hiding. Um, Amen. Christ didn't save you to hide. You know, mm-hmm. um, he he saved you to to walk in the light. And James five sixteen always gets me when it says, "Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another, so that you may be healed." You know, um, I don't know how it works, <laughs> you know, I don't know why confessing our sins to one another brings about healing in our lives, but I can tell you that it's true. You know, it's something that I have tasted 
and seen. And so, friends, if you're struggling with sexual sin, come out of hiding. Share it with someone. Invite someone to pray with you. And if you've got friends who come to you (laughs) and share with you about their sexual sin or any other kinds of sin, I pray that you would be able to receive them with the same kind of grace and love and mercy and truth that Christ accepts uh, us. And so, man, friends, this has been so good. This has been so good. I'm going to be skipping for the rest of the day. (laughs) So thank you so much for sharing um, your time and your wisdom uh, with us. Yeah, and who knows? Maybe we'll we'll do this again uh, sometime. So yeah, thank y'all. Thank you, Yana. Yo, that was that was so good. That was so good. Uh, true story. I was on cloud nine after recording this episode. Um, I was inspired. I was encouraged. I was challenged. There's just so much there uh, to review and to talk about. And I'm not going to do that here. Um, Instead, I'm going to invite you to join me and a few of my friends in the talk back. Uh, We do a talk back every week following the week of uh, the podcast going out. And it's me and a few women. talking through the episode and asking God to help us to live out um, our sexuality in a way that brings glory and honor to him. And so if you haven't uh, gone to my Patreon page, I want to encourage you to do that. The link is going to be in the show notes. And yeah, just join us. Join us for the conversation. Um, Let's go deeper remember the goal this season is to start a movement and I can't do that by myself um it's gonna take a group of us to really commit to uh changing the narrative um changing the way the church talks about singleness and sex and marriage and all those things and yo I want us to be at the forefront of that and not just looking at other people Um, expecting them to change the narrative or to do something different, but instead for us to take up the mantle and to do that ourselves. And so uh, you can join the talkbacks. There are two two talkbacks every month, and that's regardless of whether or not there is an episode and they're on Thursday nights at 8 p.m. Eastern time. And uh, to join, you only have to subscribe at at least $10 a month. Um, however, if you're listening and you're like, yo, I can't really do the talkbacks or actually I do a talkback with my friends uh, in a in a different way, like, yo, please, please do that. But consider supporting the podcast, you know, consider uh, subscribing at five, 10, 25 uh, or even $50 a month. Each tier gets you access to different things. Uh, the $50 uh, a month. Uh, allows you to uh, have a conversation with me uh, on, I think, either a monthly or bi-monthly basis where we just kind of talk through and go through some of these things that we've talked about in season one and season two on a deeper level in a way that's appropriate. I'm not saying that it's coaching. I'm not even saying it's discipleship. I'm just saying it's a conversation um, where maybe you can ask me some questions and 
I can maybe provide you with some of the things that I've learned away by way of, you know, experience and just being discipled by others or even reading books. Uh, and so I hope that you will join us for that conversation. But before you go, let me pray for you. Father, I'm so thankful for you and your grace and your mercy and your love towards us. Father, I pray for those who are listening today, Lord, who after hearing this episode, uh, may be struggling a bit because it unearthed some things that they learned. It unearthed some ways in which they've been hurt. Um, by by the church and maybe even some ways that they've been deceived and um, because of that it's impacted their their life it's impacted their relationship with you and even uh, their relationship with the church I pray with that wherever they are with that they would start a conversation with you an honest conversation a raw conversation one in which they're able to lay themselves bare uh, before you and Lord then I pray that you would give them the grace and the strength uh, to have a conversation with someone else in their lives that they can trust. And Father, I pray for those who are listening uh, and maybe they know somebody who could benefit from this conversation. Maybe um, they need to share this episode with someone. Uh, maybe it's their pastor, youth leader, whatever. Lord, I pray with that you would give them the boldness and courage and strength to do that. But Lord, I do pray with that you would help the church to be a safer place for singles, a safer place for people who are uh, wrestling with uh, thoughts about sex, <laughs> views about sex, ideas about sex and sexuality and all those things. And Lord, I pray that the church would be safe in a sense where we would create space for these conversations, but not dilute um, your truth. And so we thank you. We love you. Uh, in Jesus name, we do pray. Amen. Friends, thanks for listening. Um, in the next episode, my homie Kenshiro will be joining us and he will be sharing with us uh, the ways in which purity culture has impacted him. <laughs>